Uh, get your Bibles. If you don't have one, grab one. There's a couple there. There's a bunch on that table over there. Oh yeah, there's a couple right here. Amy, there's two right here. There we go. Okay. So last week we looked at. Oh, you need one too. Last week we were in uh, Joshua chapter five. I knew you guys were going to be the problem. I yeah, I don't really care what you're talking about. We're starting class. Uh, all right, so we looked at Joshua chapter five, the first ten verses. And uh, we talked about how serious are you when it comes to following the Lord. We talked about the difference between making a decision to do something versus actually taking action on it. And how the Israelites had been um, working towards getting into the promised land for like 40 years. And they, were finally, they finally crossed the Jordan River and they were taking action on this decision, this uh, big step that they were, uh, had been planning for years. And uh, God caused them to like stop and pause, and and uh, they had not been doing the the act of circumcision for since they had left Egypt. And so God said, "We got to do things decently and in order." God's a God of order, and so He caused them to to stop and take care of that and get things right before they were able to continue. And uh, we looked a little bit about how um, much of an inconvenience that would have been, like the timing of that. Uh, in our eyes, seems really bad, right? Like they just crossed into enemy territory, and then God says, "Okay, we're going to stop. We're going to do. You're going to have to circumcise every adult man in the entire camp, which is all of their soldiers and and all of that. We're going to stop and do that. And uh, that you know, then then there's going to be a time where they have to like heal before they're able to go into battle. And so during that time, that would have been a great time for the enemy to come in and attack. And so if if you were Joshua or you were some of the men of Israel and and God says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you might think, why are we doing it now? Like, we're in enemy territory. We should have done this, you know, a couple weeks ago before we got to uh, the Jordan River, before we got to where the enemies could come and attack us. We, we should have done this before. Um, but in God's, in God's timing and God's, you know, providence, he protected them. And, uh, you know, they were able to heal. It says in verse... <sighs> Verse 8, and it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Uh, wherefore, name the, place, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And so, uh, you know, so God protected them. And uh, once they were done with that, God says, you know, the reproach of Israel is off of you. The, the thing that you guys... The promise that I made with Abraham way back in the day, the, the sign of this covenant that he had made with Abraham was this, this act of circumcision. And it had been, they had been putting it off for 40 years and not taking care of it. And so God said, okay, now that, that issue has been dealt with, now we can move forward. And so uh, we talked about how you know God wants us to do things in a certain order. And so we talked about how like at this church, if you um, go through discipleship and then you think, Hey, I'd really like to sit down and disciple with somebody else. It was really a great experience for me. I want to do that with somebody else. You have to go through a class, right? How to disciple class so we can uh, invest. Here's what we're, here's the goal of discipleship. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's some tools that you can use. Like we, you know, we, the leadership of this church, you know, causes us to pause and, and sometimes to test and see how 
like genuinely sincere we are about something. Hey, if you really want to do this, that's great. We want you to do it. But here's a couple things you need to do first. And uh, we talked about how if you're faithful with the little things, uh, that God will give you more, right? And and to be faithful with least, uh, to be faithful in order to be faithful with much. And so, um, so we talked about all that last week and, and how God just desires our obedience. And sometimes, uh, you know, it, it maybe feels like hoops to jump through or it feels like, uh, you know, doesn't make any sense, but, but God just desires that we obey. God desires, um, our obedience. That's what he desired from the, from the people of Israel. While, the, while this decision didn't really make sense, God needed them to obey to, to make sure that they were going to be faithful with, uh, the least so that God could trust them as they, uh, go forth and they conquer, um, this promised land. And, uh, to Israel's credit, they did obey, right? They, God said, this is what we need to do. And the Israelites said, okay, let's do it. They did it. And, and now they can move forward, uh, kind of unified and together as, as a people group. And so, <clears throat> uh, so we're going to pick up the, ver- pick up the, um, passage in chapter, in verse 10 of chapter five. And so in verse 10, it says, and the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And so uh, I asked Jackson this last night about manna. What do you guys know about manna? Bread. It's bread. Okay. What else do you know about manna? It falls from the sky. Yes. What else? I thought it was croutons. I could have been similar to croutons. We don't know. Yeah, it's probably not. It probably didn't have a lot of seasoning on it. But uh, What else do you guys know about manna? It was provided by God. Okay. When did they, when did they start getting manna? You guys know? Why did God provide manna in the first place? Yeah, so when we talk about the wilderness, it's not like a wilderness that we would think of that's like wooded with trees and it's green grass and all that. The wilderness is a desert. Okay, they were in the desert. And uh, yeah, not a lot of stuff grows in the desert. There's not a lot of options for food or water in the desert. Did you have a question, Bryson? Oh. So there's not a lot of options for food and water in the desert. So you spend 40 years wandering through the through the desert. Uh, you're going to need some options for food and options for water. And so, uh, yeah, so God started providing this this manna from heaven uh, for them. So go back to uh, Exodus chapter 14. Somebody with a church Bible, tell me what page that's on or just shout it out when you get there. So in Exodus chapter 14, actually go to Exodus 16. Exodus chapter 14, they cross the Red Sea. Okay, so they've, huh? 106 if you have a, that's not a church, oh, is it a church Bible? Yeah, all right, page 106 if you have one of the church Bibles. 14 We'll be in Exodus chapter 16. I said 14 because that's where I'm starting to just give you a summary, but we're actually going to be in chapter 16. So Exodus chapter 14, they cross the Jordan River, or not the Jordan River, the Red Sea. Okay, that's this is where they escape from uh, the the armies of Egypt. They cross over the Red Sea in chapter 14. Uh, chapter 15, 
most of that chapter is a song of celebration. Okay, so Moses and the people start singing this song uh, to the Lord, and and they're they're praising God for this victory, and they're all excited. And I mean, literally, all of Israel is singing to God this song of celebration of how He's uh, destroyed the the armies of Pharaoh and how they were able to cross on dry land. And, and it says stuff in like. Uh, chapter 15 verse 2 the lord is my strength and song he has become my salvation he is my god i will prepare him and habitation my father's god and i will exalt him the lord is a man of war the lord is his name and they got all these these things that they're like excited about that god has done and uh so that's the first like 21 verses uh of chapter 15 and then the last few verses of chapter 15 uh they get to this place called mara and the water there is bitter, and there's there's not water that they can drink. And so immediately in verse 24 of chapter 15, it says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Okay, so there are, I mean, they were just, as a group, as a nation, they were all singing praises to God and how wonderful and awesome God was and how He's their, he's their Savior and all these things. And He was. He is. Um, but then as soon as they're done with that, they get to this place and there's no good water. And instantly they're like, Moses, what is going on? This, this water is terrible here. Like, where have you, why have you brought us out here to die? And all this stuff, they're complaining instantly right after this, this uh, time of celebration. Right after one of the most miraculous things, even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, there's still uh, a lot of people have that image in their mind of, of the crossing of the Red Sea with the water on both sides and they're walking through on the dry land. And that's a pretty well-known, like, miraculous thing that God did. And, uh, and so right after that, to think, man, that's like maybe the same day or the next day and they're already complaining about water. Like, didn't they just see what God did with the parting of this giant sea? Don't they think that God can provide them water? Like, do you think he would have done all of that just to bring you out here to die? I mean, it doesn't logically make sense, but as humans, like we can, we can kind of sympathize with them. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you've been a day or two without water in the desert. Like I would be thirsty also. And when I get thirsty or I get hungry, I get grouchy. And like, you know, I get, I get it why they were acting this way, but, uh, but it's interesting to see how fast that changes. And so then in verse, in chapter 16, look at verses, uh, three to five. So God does provide them water, uh, at the end of chapter 15. So 16 verse 3 says, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread, down, rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so they go from complaining about the water, and God, God gives them, God tells them, Hey, go put, go chop down this tree, put it in the water, the water turns sweet. Everyone can drink the water. You know, just a few verses later, they're like, now we're hungry. Why have you brought us out here to die? We had food in Egypt. We should have just stayed there. Even if God killed us, we would rather be there where there's food than come out here in the wilderness and die from hunger. Okay? Even though, like, probably the day before, or maybe two days before, God had just, they did the same thing with water, and God provided water. So why didn't they think God was going to provide them food? I don't know. Just because they're humans, they were hungry, and they got grouchy. And when there's... A million of them, 
you know, someone starts kind of bickering over here and then they're like, yeah, that's right. We should, this, that, that is right. We, we should have stayed in Egypt. And, you know, then you get a bunch of people talking and griping together and it kind of grows. And so now all the people come to Moses and they're like, you know, griping about the food situation. And so Moses is like, God, what, are we, what am I going to do? And God says, listen, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. Okay. Something that had never been done. I mean, God just is doing things miraculously over and over and over for the people in Israel. And uh, each step of the way, they keep griping and complaining. And God just says, I got you. Like, I, you know, I'm going to take care of it. So he, he says he's going to rain down bread from heaven. But it says that uh, in verse 4, it says, And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And uh, I think that's interesting because <clears throat> God's... God's saying, I'm only going to give you enough for that day, okay? And then, then it's going to be gone. And then the next day, I'm going to give you enough for that day, and then it's going to be gone. And if you don't go out and gather because you're tired or you're sick or you just don't feel like it or you forget about it or some other reason, you're not going to have bread that day. And then the ne- you have to wait till the next day to go out and get it, okay? Um, to prove them, to hey, I'm going to give you this, but you're still going to have to work for it a little bit, right? I mean, you're still going to have to, to do something to, to show, hey, thank you, God, for providing this food. I'm going to go out and gather it, right? God's not going to, you know, drop it into their bellies. He could have just dropped it into their bellies and skipped this whole process. But uh, but God wants to, to prove them and, and to see what they're going to do with this and to see that they're going to be uh, faithful with it. Skip down to verse 14 of that same chapter. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more and some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered uh, much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating, and Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Okay, so they couldn't, if they gathered too much of it, uh, or they didn't do, they didn't eat what they gathered, uh, by the end of the morning it would be like with worms and it would be stinky, right? And everything that was still outside, when the sun came up, it would melt it all. Okay, so God had like a you know a process to take care of. Okay, you can't gather too much, and if you forget to get it, it's going to be gone, and then you can get more the next day. The exception was on the sixth day, um, they would gather twice as much, and uh, it would stay good until the seventh day, because on the seventh day was the Sabbath, and they weren't supposed to do any work that day, including going out and collecting food. So they were able to gather enough on the sixth day that, that would last them both the sixth and the seventh day, uh, so they didn't have to go out and get it um, on the Sabbath day. And so... So God did this for 40 years for them, okay? God provided this food for them for 40 years. And we talk a lot about how uh, things in the Old Testament are a picture of things in the New Testament, right? So what do you guys think manna is a picture of? There's, there's something that is, that is a picture of, someone that it's a picture of. Uh, and then there's also a separate kind of application for us 
that I want to talk about both those things, but, but what or who do you think that the manna is a picture of in the New Testament? Jesus. Yeah, that's usually a good answer. If you don't know, just usually guess Jesus. Unless it's something bad, don't guess Jesus for that. But otherwise, guess Jesus. Turn to John chapter 6. Huh? Yes. So, uh, sometimes with pictures and types and things like that, uh, you know, we got to do a little bit of studying and we got to kind of, uh, dive in. We got to really understand the story and we got to really think about, okay, how, what could that be picturing? And then, uh, you know, we kind of make connections. And then sometimes God just gives it to us really easily and just comes out and tells us what it is. Um, and this is, this is the case with this one where God just comes out and tells us. So, John chapter 6, what page is it on? 1419, 1419. Uh, so John chapter 6, verse 30 says, They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. So... They, they say that Moses is the one that gave him the, the bread from heaven. And Jesus is like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't Moses from heaven. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Okay, so uh, Jesus is like, listen, the manna, it didn't come from Moses, right? Moses was the leader and all that. But the bread came from my Father in heaven. And he says, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Well, that sounds a lot like Jesus, right? He's saying that of himself. And then in verse 34, it says, They said unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. It's kind of like the lady at the well. Remember where he says uh, you know, that he can give her water that she'll never thirst again? And she's like, where is this water? I, I want some of that water. And then Jesus tells her that, that he's the water. Uh, but here they're like, hey, we, we want some of this this bread. What is this bread of God which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world? We want some of that. Verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Brendan, that's what you were saying. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Okay, so Jesus is saying uh, that manna that your fathers, your your ancestors ate in the wilderness, that was a picture and a type of me. That, that bread sustained their life uh, the whole time they were wandering around in the wilderness, right? And Jesus is saying that that was that that gave them physical life, um, but that was a picture of something that was to come, which is me. I, I am the bread of life. I am uh, the bread that if you you eat of me, you'll have eternal life, not just uh, physical life for these these forty years while you eat it. But if you eat the bread of life that that is me, that is Christ, uh, then you're not going to be hungry again. And so it's nice sometimes when the Bible just kind of lays it out specifically for you and, and tells you, hey, that manna, that was a picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, but there's another application for us beyond just this. So th- this is, you know, dealing with salvation. If you accept Christ as your Savior, uh, then you're going to have eternal life, right? The bread uh, of, of life is going to give you eternal life. But, um, but maybe on a more practical level, once you're saved... What do you guys think manna might picture uh, beyond Christ? What Something that we could maybe um, apply in our lives. They had to gather it every single day. What do you guys think that might be kind of a way that we can apply that in our own life? 
reading our Bible, right? The Bible, it also talks about how the Bible is the bread, right? And Jesus, Jesus is the Word of God. He says that in John chapter 1. But we're supposed to be getting up in the morning and reading our Bible, right? That, that's one of the things that it talks about in the Bible. We're supposed to be reading the Bible daily, preferably in the morning, right? And if we get up in the morning and we gather the bread for the day, right? We get in the Word of God and we read what it has for us. You can't sit down and read for an hour and say, okay, well, that's, that's good for the whole week, right? That'll last me all week long. If I was going to do 10 or 15 minutes a day, and if I just do a whole hour now, then I can just skip the next six days, and then next week I'll do it again. I'll do another hour uh, at the beginning of the week, and that'll sustain me for the whole, the whole week, right? Uh, the, the, the bread doesn't really keep, right? Just like with the manna, if you gather too much, it's going to get moldy, it's going to get you know, wormy, it's going to stink. Um, I mean, it's good if you sit down and read a bunch of the Bible in one day, but don't think that that is going to sustain you uh, for the whole week. I mean, we don't eat one meal and then, or, you know, we don't eat a bunch one day and then just think that that's going to sustain us for the rest of the week. Um, it's important to gather it every single day, right? God, if, if they didn't get the bread, like on a, you know, on one morning, if they just decided, I don't really feel like gathering bread this morning, uh, they would miss what God had for them that day, right? That, that was the only opportunity they had to gather that. And if we don't get in the Word of God every day, we're going to miss what God has for us that day. And yeah, we can get it again the next day or the next day after that. Uh, you know, God's going to be faithful and He's always going to be there for us. And there's some grace there. But if we don't gather it in the morning that day, then we're going to miss it for that day, right? We might be hungry the rest of that day. Um, and, and so there's a lot of applications from this, this manna that we can gather. Um, I want you guys to go back to Numbers chapter 16. <clears throat> so what we were reading in Joshua was talking about how the manna ceased uh, that day, right? They, they, had, they, had, they didn't get manna anymore. It says that they ate of the old corn, they ate of the fruit of the land the rest of that time. And so... Um, God, God provided that manna for them for 40 years to get them through this, this season of, of their lives where they were wandering in the wilderness. And, uh, and this whole time they've been working towards getting to this, the promised land. And um, the promised land, what was, what was one of the analogies that people used about the promised land? What was, they said it was a land what? Flowing with something. Milk and honey, right? They had the, they they had this saying about it that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. When I was a kid, I thought that that meant that it actually was you know rivers of milk and honey. Okay, it doesn't actually mean that there was uh, things flowing with milk and honey. There was not actual milk and honey flowing. Uh, it just meant that it was a very like fertile land. There was it was a land that would was easily producing things. And so I want you guys to look at Numbers chapter thirteen, uh, starting in verse seventeen. I need to get to the right page. Numbers 13. Numbers 13, verse 17. You already got verse 16? I said 16? Oh, that's definitely not even in my notes. I didn't even write it down wrong. It's definitely Numbers chapter 13 is what I have written down and meant to say. Sorry. We're in verse 17. So the, ver the first 16 verses of this, he reads off uh, all the different um, people from each tribe that he sends out as spies. Right. So this is where they go spy the land of Canaan the first time. So verse 17 says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain 
and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be uh, that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what la- what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be food, wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men uh, come to Hamath. And they ascended by the, by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshi, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eshcol and cut down from there a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. Okay, so um, I want you guys to see here. So that when they first go in and spy out the land, one of the things that Moses tells them to look for is, hey, what's the fruit situation there? Like, what, what, what kind of food do they have? Because they, at this point, they've been wandering in the wilderness for a little bit now, and God had been providing manna uh, in the mornings, and he provided quail in the evenings, and he provided water along the way for them. But he's like, you know, Moses is like, what kind of food do they have there? Can you guys check it out and like maybe bring us back some of what you find? And uh, and so they go there and they they find like a cluster of grapes that's so big they have to carry it on a stick between two people, right? And so just think about, I mean, how how much I, I mean, the land of of Canaan, the promised land, was bountiful, right? There was uh, not only was there like plenty of food, but the food, I mean, it grew so big. I mean, what's the biggest cluster of grapes you guys ever seen? They fit in like a bag, right? I mean, this is a this is a cluster of grapes that two people have to carry on a pole, okay? Um, and so they bring back that, and they bring back pomegranates and figs, and uh, so this land that they were uh, that they were going to be going in and taking was was full of of like fruit and and food and resources. And so by the time they get there, so 40 years later, by the time they finally get into the promised land, uh, there's no longer a need for God to provide them manna, right? There's no longer a need for, the, for him to do that. They've got water. They've got food. They've got, they can live off of the land now. And um, so go back to Joshua chapter 5, where we started at. So it says in verse 12, And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And so, uh, you know, it's just, they finally have gotten to the promised land and God has been sustaining them this whole time. And now they've gotten to, you know, ultimately what the goal was, which is to get to this promised land. And now they're able to feed themselves, right? Now God has, has sustained them uh, long enough, and now they are now they're in this place where um, you know they can be eating off of the land that they've been looking forward to this this whole time. And so uh, I don't know what manna tastes like. I'm guessing it wasn't super flavorful, uh, but now they are in a place where they've got uh, you know the best food that they can that they can uh, want, and something different than this manna that they've been eating every morning. All right, so let's finish out the rest of this chapter. Verse 13 says. 
And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I, I am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And so uh, so Jericho is the first city that they're getting ready to come to, right? Jo- Joshua chapter 6, uh, which we'll get into next week, is where they fight the battle of Jericho, okay? Uh, so that's going to be the first city that they face. But, uh, you know, they could kind of probably see it from where they were camping in Gilgal. And uh, it says that Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and there was somebody standing there with a sword drawn, okay? And uh, I'm picturing it as like nighttime. Maybe you can kind of see a silhouette of a guy standing on a, on a hill, right, with the sword out. And uh, like, a, like a warrior, Joshua was definitely a warrior, uh, rather than just, you know, like, like looking to his guys and being like... Uh, do we need to do something about this guy that's up here? Like, there's a guy up here on this hill with a sword drawn. Uh, maybe we should go out there. Joshua goes to him himself, and uh, and he says, "Are you for us or are you for our adversaries?" I'm guessing Joshua probably had his sword drawn also. Uh, Joshua's probably ready to throw down with this guy. Um, and his, you know, his question is, "Are you with us or are you against us?" And uh, he doesn't know who he's talking to. Uh, he finds out immediately as soon as this guy responds. The guy says, uh, and and he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And uh, Joshua immediately falls down on his face and worships this this guy. So who is the captain of the Lord's host? Yeah. Oh, you're pointing up to God, Jesus? Some, somebody up there? I mean, Gabriel? Gabriel, that's a good guess. Anybody else? God. Captain of the Lord's host. God? Jesus? Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. What did you say? A cherubim. A cherubim. Okay. That, so my first, my first kind of thought was, yeah, like Gabriel or Michael the archangel, right? It says captain of the Lord's host. Um, so the more you look into it, though, uh, hold your place here because we're going to come right back. But go to Revelation chapter 22. The very last chapter of the Bible. So angels show up, you know, fairly regularly in the Bible. And um, it's interesting if you look through just, I mean, I briefly did a quick Bible search on the word angel and kind of read some of these verses that were around them. Um, chapter 22, verse uh, 8 and 9. Yeah, verse 89. When you get the church Bible, it's 1662. 1662. All right. Thank you, Bryson. Okay. So uh, verses 8 and 9 says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard, had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which had showed me these things. So if you remember in the beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, John says that, uh, well, here, let's just, I'm going to see what it says. So I'm going to misquote it. Uh, 
Well, it doesn't matter. And angels are shown in these things. So he bows down to this angel at the end of this, uh, at the book of at the end of the book of Revelation. He bows down to worship at the feet of this angel, which showed him all these things. Verse nine. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Okay, so this angel, when when uh, John falls down to worship this angel for showing him all the things in the book of Revelation, the angel immediately responds and says, no, 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 get up, get up, get up. I, do, I'm not worthy of your worship. Right? It says we're only supposed to worship God. And so the angel is quick to make sure that John knows, don't worship me. I'm, I'm, I'm a fellow servant with you. Like, I'm not worthy of your worship. Okay? And so... Angels are not going to receive worship. There's a, uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, if you want to look at it, where Lucifer, right, tries to ascend above God. Lucifer desires worship, right? He desired to be equal with or above God. And, uh, that caused, obviously, you know, sin in, in heaven and it caused, uh, the, you know, his fall and the third of the angels and all of that. Um, angels are not to receive worship. And so when, when Joshua falls down and worships this captain of the host, the captain of the host does not say, oh, don't worship me. I'm not worthy of your worship. Right? He receives that worship. Uh, so that is an indication that it's not an angel. right? It's not Gabriel. It's not Michael. It's not another angel because angels are not going to receive worship uh, from people. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, and I'm making you guys turn a lot, this interaction should remind you of another interaction in Exodus chapter 3. In verse 5, And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Okay, This is the burning bush with Moses when God is speaking to him from the bush. And he's telling him to go to Egypt and and uh, how he's going to free the people and all that, right? This is where Moses gets this command from God, from this burning bush. But he uses that similar phrase. He says, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. In Joshua 5, he says, loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And so uh, it was God speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And uh, this captain of the host is Jesus Christ himself speaking to Joshua. And he tells him, he, he allows him to worship him. And he tells him the same thing, basically, that God had told Moses uh, back at the beginning before they were free from Egypt. And so uh, the reason I want to point all that out, or the reason I want to kind of clarify that is a lot of the things that we've been looking at since we've been in the book of Joshua has been showing how command was being passed from Moses to Joshua, right? At the end of Deuteronomy, when we were looking at, um, at, uh, the, right before Moses died, and, uh, Moses presents Joshua to the people and says, this is, you know, this is God's new man. This is the, the person that you're gonna follow. I'm not gonna be able to go in the promised land with you. You're gonna follow Joshua. And then Joshua chapter one comes along, Moses is gone, and, uh, and, and God, you know, glorifies Joshua in front of all the people and they know, okay, Joshua is, is the man of God now. And, um, and so there's kind of been this, this process of transition. There's been a lot of parallels from the beginning of, of Moses' time with the nation of Israel 
to the beginning of Joshua's time, just the crossing of the Red Sea and how the parallel with the crossing of the Jordan River and how those two things were kind of the bookends of the 40 years that they spent wandering in the wilderness. And there's just a lot of similarities between how God dealt with Moses and how God's dealing with Joshua as leaders of the nation of Israel. And this is kind of one of the last things on on closing the, the loop kind of from... So when he when he first called Moses... He calls him out of this burning bush and he talks to him and he tells him, take off your shoes because the place you're standing is holy ground. And, and he gives him kind of this vision of, hey, you're, you're going to lead my people out of the nation of Egypt. You're going to lead them out of captivity. You're going to lead them to the promised land, all of this stuff. Right? He lays all that out for, for Moses back in Exodus 3 from, the, from this burning bush, or he starts the process at least from the burning bush. And now we're, we're getting to Joshua and, and Joshua has already become the leader. He's already, you know, crossed over the Jordan River with them, but he's going to battle. Uh, they're just outside of Jericho. They're getting ready to, to fight their first battle, uh, in the promised land. And God kind of closes this loop. He, now he appears to Joshua, not out of a burning bush, not, not in that way. He appears as a man standing with his sword drawn, right? as like a soldier, as somebody who's getting ready to go in and fight. And he tells him the same thing. Hey, take off your shoes. The place that you're standing is holy ground. And uh, the rest of that conversation is not recorded for us. We don't, we don't know all of what they talked about there. Um, but Joshua had a conversation with the Lord just before they entered battle, but not out of a burning bush, but as a man standing with a, with a sword drawn. And um, I just think it's a really cool how God... Uh, you know, kind of brings a lot of these things back up to show us, you know, hey, Joshua is the leader of the nation of Israel. Joshua is his is his uh, man that he's using right now as, as the leader. And uh, he kind of confirms a lot in, in the same ways that he did with Moses. He confirms the same way with Joshua, uh, you know, to, to give Joshua, you know, the confidence to know uh, that God is with him and that all the things he did for Moses, he's going to do that much and more with Joshua and uh, so, you know, for Joshua specifically, a lot of these things uh, really tie together and, and help give him, uh, you know, peace and confidence and all of those things. But it's, I think it's cool for us to be able to see, because uh, we can see the whole picture now, right? We can see, we have the whole Bible now. We can kind of see how all of this stuff fits together. Joshua didn't have, you know, all of that, but he did know, uh, I'm sure Moses told him all the stories and, and uh, you know, he was in the loop on all these things. But I think it's really cool how God kind of continues to, to do a lot of similar things with Joshua as he did with Moses uh, to just further cement his place as the new leader um, of Israel. And so uh, for just for application purposes for you guys today, the, the maybe the main thing I want you guys to take away is that the idea of the manna, right, of gathering um, food daily, to, to be in the Bible every single day. And uh, it... It, I know it, there's going to be days where you're going to miss, and I know that there's, uh, you know, days where maybe you don't feel like doing it, or days where you're tired, or whatever. Um, there, you know, there's days that I miss as well. But we should be in the Bible every single day, gathering the food that we need, the spiritual food that we need. Um, and it may seem like small things. It may seem like, you know, I read my Bible today. I didn't really get anything out of it. You know, why am I even doing this? What? Why? Why am I supposed to be reading my Bible every day? It doesn't really make sense. Uh, but like with anything that you do, uh, most of you guys are in a sport or band or you do something that requires you to practice, right? That requires you to, to do things over and over and over again. And you don't see results 
like that day. You don't see results immediately, usually. Uh, usually it takes time, right? But if you look at, you know, if you look at yourself a, a year ago and you look at yourself today doing that sport or doing the, playing that instrument or doing that thing, right, there's going to be a, a dramatic change. If you've been faithful to do that thing regularly every day or uh, at least on a regular basis, uh, you're gonna, you can look at, you know, yourself a year apart or six months apart or five years apart and you're going to notice a big change. And it's the same way with, with reading your Bible, studying your Bible. If you spend time daily reading it, you're not really going to notice, uh, you know, the change. You're not really going to notice um, how much more you're getting out of it, how much more you're growing. But if you look at a year ago versus where you are today and you've been reading consistently that whole year, you will notice some changes, right? It's the same thing with baby Zebin, uh, or we have, a, we have a puppy at home. It's the same thing with, like, you don't notice him changing every single day. Right, he's ten weeks, nine weeks old. Yeah, so he's a couple months old now, and he's different than when he was when he was born. Right, he doesn't look the same. Uh, he's changed. If you look at pictures of the day he was born and you look at pictures of him today, he's going to look drastically different. Right, even though you don't necessarily notice it from day to day. Um, and so those things happen. They're, they're small changes, incremental changes every single day. That when we're around, when you're around him every day, you don't necessarily notice it. But for somebody who doesn't see him every day, you know, and they see him, you know, every couple of months, oh, they're going to notice a big difference because he looked way different the last time. And it's the same way with reading your Bible. You're not necessarily going to notice the small changes every single day. But when you read the Bible, it, it changes who you are. It changes, um, you know, the way you think. It changes the way you act. It changes the words that come out of your mouth. It changes those things in small incremental ways every day. And uh, just like the manna sustained them, Every single day in the in the wilderness in the desert, um, they needed that every single day, and so uh, that's the main application I want you guys to get from uh, the end of this chapter five that we just looked at. Uh, there's a lot of cool things in there, but uh, but if you can grab onto that and you can think or understand that just small incremental changes that you may not even notice make a big difference over time. They're, they're compounded over time, and uh, so that's the main thing I want you guys to take away. We're out of time. Anybody have any questions about any of that? No? Holly, any questions? Okay, well, let's pray.